Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning. Welcome to Collective. My name is Tyler. If we've never met before, we're glad that you are here. We're starting a new series called Thorns and Thrones, a series on pain, and I want to approach it a little bit differently than you might expect. Um, If you don't know me very well, I just want to let you know, and if you do know me, you know this, I love reading. Like, it's a problem. I think this past week I heard... (laughs) four or five books, and I've read a chunk of all of them. And I, I love reading because I, I love that I can learn from other people, and, it, and what reading does is it challenges me. It challenges me to, to see things differently or to learn from people that have gone before. I love reading widely. There are books that I read that it doesn't make sense for me to read because I want, I want to have a, a, a more holistic view of things. And I even want to read from people that maybe I disagree with to go, okay, help me to understand. And one of the books that I have found to be tremendously helpful for me as I've explored this idea of pain is a book called Leadership Pain by Sam Chand. Now, this book is meant for pastors, leaders, and, and so you have to put a filter through all of it. But there's some stuff in there that I think for all of us who would call ourselves Jesus followers it'd be really helpful for us to read. So if you are one of those people that you go, I, I want more, I want to read more, and you want to read alongside, this, this, that would be a great compendium or a companion to this series, Leadership Pain by Sam Chan. That pairs really nicely with this series. And he says this, there's a quote, and it was on social media, but it's important. Sam Chan says this, Pain is a part of progress. Anything that grows experiences some pain. If I avoid all pain, I'm avoiding growth. Now, some of the context that that Sam Chan is talking about is leadership growth or organizational growth, but I would go, no, this idea of growth being connected to pain is a universal human thing. That if we want to grow, we will experience some level of pain. And so there I give you just my thesis even for this entire series. If we want to grow, we have to be willing to confront and endure some level of pain. It's a guarantee that if we will grow, if we are growing, that we'll experience some measure of pain. And I think that to some degree in this series especially, that we have the opportunity to make peace with our pain and to recognize the the role that pain can have in our lives as we experience growth. And I want to let you in on this way of Jesus as it relates to pain that turns thorns into thrones. Let's pray. God, in this moment, I pray that you would be the one that speaks. God, I need you. We need you. Holy Spirit, come. Use my words and let them be yours. God, help help us to hear from you whatever we're going through to, to know that you're close, that you see us that you lean down, incline your ear, bend down to listen to us. God, have your way. We trust you and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want us to spend some time, I want us to look at a passage in Romans. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over to Romans 5. Romans 5, and while you're flipping over, just, just so for those of us that maybe aren't super familiar, Romans is written by someone named the Apostle Paul, someone named Paul. Used to be Saul, then he became Paul, and Paul started many, many, many churches. He was a church planter. And Paul wrote letters to each of these churches as he was helping them to to navigate growth and challenges and and all the structures in between of what it means to build a community that's centered on the way of Jesus. And so this book of Romans is his letter to the church in Rome. So Paul is writing to Romans, and the beautiful thing is that thousands of years later we can read it, and it still is so true to us today. And I want to just let you know in this context of pain, if anyone understands pain, Outside of Jesus, the next best version of the person that has experienced pain is Paul. Paul understands pain. Let me just give you his resume on the pain that he experienced. Okay, you ready? Uh, Paul experienced three shipwrecks. Three of them. You go, one's enough. He had three. And on one of them, what happened is he gets into the shipwreck, he ends up on an island, and then he goes, I'm going to help, I'm going to make a fire, and while he's making a fire, gets bit by a viper, gets bit by a snake, doing what God asked him to do, that's his thanks. So that's part of what he's experienced. Okay, then the other part is when Paul was alive, their version of capital punishment was sometimes crucifixion. The other thing they loved, they figured out really cruel ways to kill people, was by stoning. Okay, if you don't know what stoning is, it's when a group of people gather around with big giant rocks and throw them at people until they die. Okay, you, you can imagine not exactly one of those things that you want to experience. Except Paul did experience it. He experienced something that was meant to kill him, stoning, and he survived it. Do you think he understood pain? Paul was also in jail multiple times. Three times Paul was beaten by rods. So he's not just just getting stoned. He's not just getting shipwrecked. He's not just getting jailed. They're grabbing rods and they're beating him. And then what's crazy about the Romans at the time is that they figured out if we whip people 40 times, 40 lashes, we can kill them. So you know what they did? They were, they were really sick. They're like, if we do 39, it doesn't kill them, but it gets them close. Like right on the edge. Right on the edge of, of death, okay? Paul experienced that five times. Five times on the brink of death. Do you think that Paul can relate to pain? Do you think that maybe, as we read his words, that we can put this filter that goes, because I know sometimes we're like, you don't know my story. Uh, I think he trumps us. And I'm not asking you to compare. I'm just asking you to understand the author of the person that's writing this. God inspired, but Paul is writing this, and so his words hold a different kind of weight. And so he experienced pain, significant pain, and yet look what he writes. Romans 5. 3 to 5 says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our competent hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. It says in verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. And listen, we can know all that he's gone through and still hit this passage and feel a cognitive dissonance of going, how am I supposed to rejoice when I'm facing trials? How am I supposed to rejoice when I'm facing problems? How am I supposed to rejoice when I'm facing pain? Like I understand you've been through all sorts of things, but you lost me here. And sometimes in the context of the Christian world or the church, we, we say those things and we go, I should believe it, but we're not honest with the fact that there's some tension of going, how do I do that? How, how do I rejoice? N- let me just say just a pastoral word before even this whole series. My intention would never be to minimize your pain, ever. It would never be to act like the pain, whether it's grieving or loss or heartbreak, to ever act like that is not significant and to ever get to the point where I go, it doesn't matter, just shuffle, shuff it, shuffle it down, just push it down, shove it down, act like it's fine, just rejoice. Paul said it, you better do it. I want you to know that if you're experiencing legitimate pain, we don't want you just to feel that on your own, we wanna walk with you. We wanna pray for you, we wanna support you, we wanna invite you in, the prayer team is going to be up here at the end of uh, uh, even when I'm up here during worship and at the end of the service. I want to encourage you, go up and talk to them. Let them pray for you. If you're in a co-group, let your, let your co-group into what you're dealing with. If you're experiencing real pain, heartbreak, all the difficult things that life brings, don't, don't minimize that. Don't shove, uh, that don't, don't shove it down. Don't pretend like everything is fine. Bring it. We, we, want, to, we want to actually walk with you in that. We want to share the burden together. But I also want us to recognize that the way of Jesus and Jesus' view of pain is different than our instincts. That Jesus doesn't view pain like we view pain. That Paul doesn't view pain like we view pain. That God doesn't view pain in the same way that we view pain. There's a lot of what we find in the Bible that is countercultural that is opposite to the culture that we swim in. And we look at that and go, that doesn't line up. It doesn't line up with our experience. Now, some of it is that we forget that we are reading some of these words, ancient text, through the lens of someone in 2022. And sometimes with arrogance of going, I've learned some things that you don't know. And yet, what we continually discover is the things that we actually need to learn, we don't learn, and we try to do our own thing. And so we're invited here to go, okay, God, how do you see pain? And what is the purpose of my pain? And what do I do? And, and, and so much of even what Paul is saying and what I'm proposing stands in direct opposition to what we would call the American dream. And we go like our, our southern neighbors, we love you, Kevin. Um, our, our American friends, they have the American dream. And we, it'd be really easy for us as Canadians to go, oh, that's an American thing. No, it isn't. We have the North American dream, and what is that? That's the pursuit of happiness at all costs. I just, I just could be happy and avoid all discomfort and avoid anything that makes me uncomfortable, and, and then I'll find my real self, and it does not work. In fact, there's this, there's this ultra-marathon runner. How long is the ultra-marathon? Is it 50 kilometers plus? So, like, okay, this guy, this guy runs... 
stupid long amounts. Like, I don't, I don't understand it, and I'm, I'm grateful that he does it. But, like, long, right? If you go a, a, a marathon, it's 26 miles. So you go 26 miles. I don't know what that converts to in kilometers. A lot. He does more than that. Okay? This guy, Dean Carnassus, says this. So just put it through your head that you go, he understands he understands pain. He says this, not a Christian. Western culture has things a little backwards right now. We think that if we had every comfort available to us, we'd be happy. We equate comfort with happiness. And now we're so comfortable, we're miserable. There's no struggle in our lives, no sense of adventure. We get in a car, we get in an elevator, it all comes easy. What I've found is that I'm never more alive than when I'm pushing and I'm in pain and I'm struggling for high achievement. And in that struggle, I think there's magic. Here's what I've learned about people pastorally and just living for 37 years. I've learned that what people think they need and what they actually need is often not in alignment. The things that we think we need, I need this, are not often the things that we actually need. And so the lie, the cultural lie, is I need comfort. I need just have everything to make me feel nice and protected and, and like I'm in a, just a snuggie and I'm warm and safe. I need that. But it's not actually proving itself to be what we really need. I mean, think about even just some of the cultural narratives. I need more stuff. If I have more stuff, then I'll be happy. And yet people are more miserable I need more money. If I had more money, then I would be happy. And you realize that doesn't solve all the problems either. And I could go on and on and on in these places that we buy into a lie, not with what Jesus says and not with what the Bible says, but the cultural view of what success looks like or what might make us happy. And we treat that as the thing that we need, recognizing that God actually knows us, designed us, made us, and looks at us and says, I know what you need. And I think we could be honest here. I won't ask anyone to put up their hand, but I think we could be honest that I don't know that there's anyone in the room without serious deep work that would ever go, you know what I really need is more pain. Like, I don't know anyone that goes, you know, in my quiet time, I was praying to God and I was like, God, thank you for your goodness. Things are really good. Give me more pain. You know what I really want, Jesus? Pain in my family, in my workplace in my car. I just am excited about pain in the season. God, I'm thanking you for the pain. No, right? None of us are doing that. None of us would, if we're being honest, choose problems or trials. None of us look at what Paul is saying and go, yeah, that's what I want. And so there's a tension here. There's a tension between what we think we need and then what Paul is pointing us and God is saying that we actually need. And notice what Paul is saying. We can rejoice too. When we run, when, not if, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. We have a, a, a what, okay, we can, ex we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Why? For we know that they help us develop endurance. Now, circling back to this ultra-marathon runner, when I think about endurance, I, I immediately think about running. And, and so imagine when you're just thinking about even this running metaphor in the context of what Paul is saying here. If we were to just get up off of our couch and run a marathon, some of us are so stubborn 
that we could do it. Some of us are just like, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to prove everyone, I'm going to do it. Some of us might actually be able to do it. Most of us, not so much. But some of us would. But you know what would happen in that pursuit? We would teeter on the edge of life and death multiple times. Right? we like, I'm going to do this. I'm like, I should not have done this. This was a mistake. Why? Because we haven't developed the endurance to do it. And so we can't expect that somehow we can run this long race without the endurance required to actually do it. But if we began to train, we would over time develop endurance to do what we previously could not do. Think about this in the context of our spiritual lives. When we experience problems, when we experience trials, and when we experience pain, we have the invitation to let it build our endurance and to develop endurance to handle that which we previously couldn't handle. We grow in our capacity to handle things in partnership with God. I want you to think about how significant this is when you look back. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you can look back to moments, and and Jody talked about it, where you look back to moments where, where what you were facing seemed to be insurmountable. You're like, I can't do this, I can't handle this, and yet here you are now recognizing that because God was present, he got you through it. And so you look back to what God has done to be reminded of what God can do, and in the midst of that, you develop endurance. Because you go, I've been in places that I didn't think I could do, and yet God showed me that with him, all things are possible, and we can walk through it. Not that God protects us, but that he is present in it. And so we develop that endurance as we face problems and trials and pain. It means that you developed endurance not through ease, but through difficulty. And yet, how often do we go, I just want it to be easier. I'll admit that. I, I Often I'm like, God, I want you to shape me to be who I'm supposed to be. I want to be the husband, the, the father, the pastor, the human being that you want me to be. But if you could do it a little easier, that'd be great. Right? If you could, like, refine me nicely. Like, I don't know. I'm not great with, like, the sandpaper or the chisel. Like, a nice massage. It just loosens things up. Like, that's what I want right? I want to grow through ease. And yet, what is the reminder? I don't develop endurance through easy things. I develop endurance through difficult things. And I would suggest to us that many of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we're not thinking about how we're developing our endurance. Instead, what we're doing is we're simply reacting. To whatever comes our way, we react to it. And so we don't plan in advance, we don't work in advance, and so this is what happens in our life. And I've experienced this lots. If things are good around us, we're good. How's it going? Great. How's life? Wonderful. But what happens on the other side when things aren't going well? Terrible. Life is awful. What have I done? I hate my job, my kids, my wife, whatever. And everything gets painted through this one lens. And so you're at the mercy of your circumstances. And if we live like this, we're constantly at the mercy of whatever is going on around us. And whatever is going on around us determines how we feel at every single moment. I think all of us in moments of reflection can acknowledge that's not a great way to live. 
And yet, for how many of us, that is our instinct. That is our go-to. That is our natural thing. We, we wait to see how things, how's it going? I don't know yet. We'll see how my day goes. We have difficult conversations with coworkers or a boss or a teacher or, or our spouse, and we're like, well, you ruined my day. Is that, is that how we want to live, where we're just reactive to whatever is going on around us? And I want to suggest to you, we need to build endurance. We need to build endurance that can weather all of those things up and down and recognize that all of it is training us and none of it has to define who we are forever. There's a significant invitation for us. I preached a message a while back in the Way of Jesus series and one of the things that I talked about was this idea of uh, I want you to think training, not trying. And I think that that is, is such a significant thing for us. I don't want you to think about developing endurance where you just have to try harder. I'm just going to endure it. I feel great. Like, that's not helpful. That's, like, horrific. And some of us do that. We're like, you know what? I know it's not supposed to be my effort, but I'm just going to grunt and, and just grip my teeth and go, God, uh, I'm in, whatever. And you go, no, I don't want you to think trying, but I do want you to think training. I want you to think, what am I doing today that's training me to endure what I might face tomorrow? What, what am I actively doing? How am I actively building any kind of endurance? And I want to suggest to you that this way of life is a significantly more proactive way of life. This way of following Jesus is way more pro proactive than reactive. If I look at Jesus, Jesus was not reactive. Jesus faced just about everything and none of it faced him because he was anchored in what really mattered and he was proactive in how he trained, spent time with God, disciplined, practiced so that he actually would endure. His closeness with God was never in question. And I want to say to us, we need to be people that train in order to prepare ourselves for obstacles that will come. Not just wait till they come and hope we have figured it out then, but to do it in advance. There's an author um, named Ed Stetzer that talks about building, and he was talking about it in the context of COVID, but it, was, it, it stuck with me. Developing reservoirs of resilience. Reservoirs of resilience. Resilience is, is our tendency to bounce back when things are difficult, our, our ability to persevere and handle things that are difficult. And he's suggesting what we need to do as Jesus followers is build reservoirs of resilience. Now, I want you to think about even just a reservoir, like a water tower. Every single time we drive anywhere and our kids see a water tower, you would think they saw Santa. It was like, water tower! And you're like, yeah. But when we see a water tower, when we see a water tower, what are we seeing? We're seeing a, a reservoir of water. And what is its purpose? Its purpose is to be used when it's needed. It's not often needed. Often it just sits there. And I don't know, like, does it cycle out? I don't know, I don't know a lot about water towers, towers, I'll admit. But you go, the purpose is that that water is there for that moment that there is a need. Maybe there's a drought, or maybe there's this urgent need. And what do we do? We pull from that reservoir to fill a need that comes up. But what happens if that reservoir is empty? Can you pull from it? No. And so in the same way in our spiritual lives, there is this invitation for us through training, through endurance, and building endurance through difficulty to build up our reservoirs of resilience. 
for us to find ourselves filling in this place. And we don't need it right now. We don't need to know that God is good no matter what. We don't need to know that God is present right in this moment because God seems good and things seems good, seem good. We need it when things go sideways. We need it when things are difficult. We need it when we're wondering, is this for real? Why am I doing this? Do I really believe? We need it for then. We need it for situations where we are facing difficulty. And as we train over time, as we allow pain to do its work, we develop endurance and we fill up our reservoirs of resilience. And when we do all of that, we find ourselves over time reframing our pain. Paul says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And in verse 4, and endurance develops strength of character. That when we develop that endurance, that the outcome is increased strength of character. You know what character is? Character is when we choose to do the right thing consistently. And if we're actually following Jesus, actually surrendering increasingly more areas to him, we should find ourselves over time doing less of what we want and more of what he says. We should be less governed by what we think we need and more governed by what he says that we need. We should over time discover that what we do more instinctively is follow his way of life, not our way of life. We need to develop character. But character does not come easily. It does not come through easy things or simple things. It comes through difficulty and battles and fights. And as a church, as a community, I I want for you and for us that we would develop battle-tested faith where we learn over time, sometimes through our mistakes, sometimes through others' mistakes, that if we continue to do what God asks us to do, though it might cost us in the short term, in the long term, it's always better. Like over time, we are, we're testing our faith in some ways and going, God, you say this, does this work? And what we see through history is thousands and thousands of years of proving it does. And what do we do in 2022? I don't know. I don't know about your design for this. I don't know about your thinking for this. It seems really restrictive. It seems like there's a lot of rules. And he goes, I made you. I know the way for you to live. If you'll trust me and live that way, it will work out better for you in the long haul. It'll cost you, but not nearly as much as some of the other stuff will. And as time, over time, as we follow the way of Jesus, we're, we're walking into that way of life where we let our character be shaped as we become more and more like Jesus. Character is what's developed over time as we actually submit to the way of Jesus. Not just talk about it, not just know all the right answers, actually let it transform how we live. And the part that's so difficult is character is who you are when no one's watching. Because we can act like we're good. We can, pres- pre- we can present this image of ourselves where everything is good, but character, real character, is what comes out when, when you're not trying to project something. It's what's actually inside of us. And I want you to know, if you hear nothing else, 
That, that Jesus is so much more concerned about your actual character, what's actually inside of you, than the appearance of character. That Jesus is not looking at you going, you know what I really want? I want a bunch of Christians that say all the right things, that appear to be Christians. No, he goes, I want Christians that actually live differently. That actually, when they face difficulty or challenges, actually follow my way of life, not their own. Jesus is, and he's been doing it through the church for thousands of years, putting places where he, he showcases where there's some breaks in character, where there's some disconnect, and it creates tension for us. Because you go, what do I do when I realize who I say I am and who I actually am? There's some tension. And he goes, that's another place to trust me. And some of us go, okay, I'm willing to trust you. And some of us go, I don't want to deal with that. Can I work on something else? Jesus is concerned about our character. And, and just, just even as an aside, why? Because who you are when no one else is watching comes out when you're interacting with people that don't yet know Jesus. Like, they're watching us. I don't want to put pressure on anyone that's unnecessary, but I'll put a bit. Like, people are watching how we live as Christians. And they're going, do you believe this stuff? Has this actually changed your life? Does it impact your parenting? Not that we're perfect, but that we're continually going on becoming more and more like Jesus over time. They're, they're looking at our character. Jesus cares about character. And I want you to know that the people around us care about our character. And sometimes for us, we're like, you know what, I, 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 I want to develop character. But can we just make that easier? And we're reminded here that character does not develop through easy stuff. It develops through difficulty, through problems, through trials, and through pain. Paul is reminding us of this truth that, frankly, we need to continue to remind ourselves a bit. That true character comes through problems and trials. Now, think even about that language. Problems? Okay, pretty clear. Trials. Like, when you think about a trial, I think about a test. A trial is a test. And a trial almost functions like a test of where we actually are. That's, we can face trials on a regular basis because it kind of evaluates because have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, we can lie to ourselves about where we're really, how we're actually doing? We're like, I'm super forgiving. Oh, I just love people. And then someone betrays us. And we're like, I'm going to kill them in Jesus' name. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, so uh, what was in you <laughs> just came out. And you're like, you know what? I'm just a really patient person until you have to wait. And you're like, I don't want to wait anymore. And those are light ones, but let's be honest, there's all sorts of things in our lives. Trials that we face, and they evaluate what's actually in us. They expose our character. And, and the truth is that we would want to avoid that. Instinctively, there's a human part of us that goes, I don't want that. I don't want to be tested. I don't, I like, I don't like tests. I don't like pop quizzes or exams. I hated that. I don't want that. And yet, what God does is he uses those trials to help us to evaluate where we are and where there's some areas of growth. Because I hate to break it to you, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not done this side of heaven. There are continually things. And some of us labor under this illusion, like, well, I'll arrive to a place where like, I'm pretty good. And God goes, no, no, that's not how this works. You go, yeah, I'll shape you to become more and more like me, and then I'll expose areas even deeper that you need to trust me in. And you go, ah. Oh. But that's the beautiful thing. That through that, we develop character. We develop endurance. And over time, as we surrender to that process, as we develop that character, Paul says, and character strengthens, 
our confident hope of salvation. Confident hope of salvation. Our confidence developed over time through difficulty that God has the final word. That God's promises can be trusted. How do we, how do we learn that his promises can be trusted? Not through navigating easy things. Through navigating difficult things and continually surrendering our way for his way and watching what he is up to in the midst of it. We can be reminded over time that God will do what he promises, that God will be present. And in verse 5, Paul says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There's an author named Henry Nowen who says this, In this crazy world, there's an enormous distinction between good times and bad, between sorrow and joy. But in the eyes of God, they're never separated. Where there is pain, there is healing. Where there is mourning, there is dancing. Where there is poverty, there is kingdom. Can I be honest? This is a lesson I'm currently learning. Like I never want, there's things that I've learned and there's lots that I'm learning and I never want to come up and go, you know what, I've got it all figured out. You guys, a lot of work you need to do. I go, I have stuff. This is one of them. I used to labor under this illusion that if I just did what God asked me to do, that yes, we'd have seasons. We'd have seasons like we're about to head into winter. You'd have seasons where there's winter seasons. But after that, spring seasons. All good. And so I used to labor under this illusion that it'd be like, it'd be hard, and then really good, and not hard anymore, and then maybe hard again. I was like, okay, I can deal with that. You know what I'm learning? It's hard and good at the same time. It's both. It's highs and lows at the same time. There are seasons in our life. There are seasons when it is more difficult. There are seasons when it seems to be more that the wind is at our back. But I want to let you know that most of the time, it's a mixed bag. It's celebration and heartbreak. It's joy and it's weeping and despair. It's all of the things, the reality of life. And guess what? God's promise is not, I will save you from all of that, avoid it, you won't have to experience any of it. At the end, he does save us, but his promise to us is what? He will be present with us through all of it. In the highlands, in the valleys, in the highs and the lows, when they happen on Monday and then and something amazing on Monday and then by Wednesday you're wondering if this is going to be the worst week of your life. God's reminder that he is present, that he is close. And I know that it seems even elementary to say that, but I find myself having to cling to that. More and more, this is why I need community to go, God is still present, God is still active. We need to continually remind ourselves, okay, highs and lows are normal, and God is in it, and God, if we'll let him, will use it. It's such a significant thing for us to recognize the, the, the reality of pain and how God God wants to use it and transform us through it and through all of it remind us that he is close. In many areas of our spiritual life, I recognize that there's some of us that are dealing with pain that we did not control, that we did not choose. But there are also areas in our spiritual life where there is pain that we do choose. We choose short-term pain or we choose long-term pain. 
pain. And I'm going to talk about it more in future weeks about different kinds of pain. But I want you even just this morning to think, who do I want to become? Who am I growing into? And if I want to become that version of myself that I think God is asking me to be, what pain am I going to have to endure in the meantime? And even more reflective, God, what pain am I currently avoiding that's actually hindering me from becoming who you want me to be? For us to look in our lives to identify who do I want to be and what pain am I willing to, to endure and what pain do I, want to in, do I want to avoid? Let me give a couple of examples and it's not exhaustive. Maybe you want to grow in your generosity. You're like, I want to become more generous. Maybe it's at Collective or maybe it's with other people. And you're like, I, I want to give more away. I want to live a life that is generous. I want to let you know that generosity, there's a pain to that. There is a part of you that goes, if you, have to, if you are going to be generous to others, it means at some level denying some things to yourself. And you pay a short-term, you pay some short-term pain. You experience short-term discomfort because you go, I have to say no to me because I'm saying yes to others. And you go, oh, that's hard. Yes. But the other alternative is you experience the pain of looking back at your life and go, I never was who I wanted to be. I always wanted to be generous, but I never was. And I always made excuses. And if I would have just paid the price early, I could have become the kind of person that God is inviting me to be. We choose our pain. There's the short-term pain of denying yourself and the long-term pain of not becoming who you're supposed to be. That's not just true with generosity. That's true in many areas of our life. Do I want to choose the discomfort of denying myself right now, or do I want to do whatever I feel like and in the long run look back and go, did I make use of what I had? Did I live the kind of life that makes a difference? Maybe it's in the context of relationships. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're going, you know what, I want to have the kind of relationship that God desires to bless. I want that. Are, are you facing the pain of what that means? Are, are you facing the pain of what it looks like to have the kind of relationship where God is at the center? I mean, even think about who you're dating and who you are becoming and who you are surrounding yourself. I want you to know there is pain of putting God at the center because you actually have to delay gratification. You can't actually get all the things you want right now because you're going, you know what, what I want is actually a healthy marriage long term and you have to delay and pay the pain right now for something in the long haul in order to what? Put intimacy in its rightful place. There's the short-term pain of denying yourself or the long-term pain of experiencing less than what God's best is. And we want, as a church community, we want to have the healthiest marriages that we possibly can. We want to understand that the covenant of marriage is significant. I was reading a stat, and it was, it was this secular organization that was doing all this study, and they were looking at the lowest rates of divorce. And the lowest rates of divorce were in marriages where the couples married young and didn't live together. And so here you have, you have secular education that's going, you know what, the way of Jesus for marriage actually gets the results that the world takes notice of. And I know the thinking, because it's like, well, the, the divorce rate in the church is similar to the world, which is a half-truth. 
But I want us to think about why that is, honestly. Because I think at some level we just settled for, you know what, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm going to marry that person. Hopefully they make me happy. Hopefully they sort out all my issues, which they don't. And you go, you know what, now it got really hard. I think I'm out. Because we don't take covenant seriously. And because we brought in all this other baggage, we wonder why it's so hard. Short-term pain or long-term pain. I want us to become the kind of people that are willing to pay the short-term pain because the long-term is better. How can we commit to this beauty of covenant if we're not willing to pay the price before the, beforehand? And if, if you're, again, in the room and you're going, well, marriage will solve all of my problems, you know what, um, just talk to anyone that's been married and they'll let you know that is not true. Because in the context of marriage, for those of us that are married, you know there's pain too. There's the pain of committing to that person no matter what. And if there's abuse and infidelity, listen, I, I'm not suggesting that you just go, you just stay through it. But outside of that, for us to take covenant seriously, to go, I'm not going anywhere. We're going to figure this out. God's going to redeem the stuff that is broken in me and broken in you as we work to together become who we're supposed to be. We commit to each other. We commit and we allow pain to shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus together. We allow healing to come in areas where our growth and need for growth is exposed. I don't know what it is for you. Those are two that I was, in my prep, I was thinking about, but I go, it could be other things that you think about the short-term pain or the long-term pain. Maybe it's the pain of avoiding a difficult conversation that you need to have. And the pain is, I don't want to do the difficult thing, but the long-hand, long-term benefit is we don't set people up for success and help them and love them well. Maybe it's the pain of going, you don't have to work 80 hours a week and never see your family to provide for them. I know people that do that. I'm just providing for my kids. But guess what? If you provide for your kids, but you're never there, that's not a win. Maybe it's the pain of going, uh, I need to do more schoolwork right now because this is important. Or maybe it's the pain of going, I need community. What's the short term versus the long haul? Maybe it's the pain, and this is for many of us, of actually carving out and committing time to spend time with God not just saying we're too busy. To go, you know what, I'm going to pay the price of being a little bit more tired by getting up early or staying up a little bit late. I'm going to not watch. I'm going to face the pain of not watching that Netflix show and instead spend some time with the creator of the universe who desperately wants to be with me. And we pay the price in the short term because the long term is that we are shaped and conformed to be more and more like Jesus. And I believe wholeheartedly that for some of us in the room that there are areas right now that the Holy Spirit is going ding, 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 ding. That's you, that's you, that's you. And I want to just let you know that that voice even, that there's not a condemnation to that. There's not this sense of going, wow, you are the worst. Instead, there's an invitation to go, we could experience healing here. We could actually grow. We could navigate pain together. We could become who we're intended to be. We could pay the price in the short term for the long haul. We want to become people who increasingly look more and more like Jesus. And I believe that even in this moment and this series is an opportunity for us to make a change. Not make any more excuses, but instead go, I want to become who, you're want, who you want me to become. 
I'm willing to pay the price and I'm willing to endure the pain that you need, that you need me to go through to shape what you need to shape. Remember in Romans 5, it says, Paul is saying we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I said at the very beginning, if you're dealing with real pain, heartbreak, difficulty, challenges, please don't do it on your own. Yes, I believe that God can work through all of it. And yes, I believe that we need to reframe how we look at pain. But none of that is intended to dismiss or diminish your pain. It's just meant to go, let's deal with it together and let's deal with it together. Let's walk in it together. Let's seek healing together. Let's pursue growth together. So if you're dealing with something heavy, maybe no one knows or maybe some people know, prayer team is going to be up here I think during worship or just after worship and beyond, I would love to invite you to go up to them and let them pray for you. I want to remind you that God is present in our pain, and what God wants to do is develop reservoirs of our resilience so we can become who he wants us to be and experience what we face with a different perspective. We want to be a community that grows. And becoming a community that grows means that we will inevitably face pain and difficulty. But let's be a community that is willing to pay that price and to become who we're supposed to be. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to respond in worship. God, I am grateful, not always that you use pain, but I'm grateful that you redeem pain. God, I'm grateful that you are present in our pain. I'm grateful that you work in us. I'm grateful that you shape us, that you use problems and trials and pain to conform us into your image. God, for those of us in the room right now that are experiencing every bit of that, that they're experiencing real pain that is pushing on some things, exposing some areas of growth, God, I pray that you would give them the courage to reach out to others, if they're not in a co-group, that you would encourage them to join a co-group, to, to be in community. If, if they've never been prayed for, maybe they, they, they've been hesitant to be prayed for, that you give them courage to get up and go to the prayer team and share. God, we want to be the kind of community that, that shoulders each other's burdens. But we also want to be the kind of community that sees your countercultural view of pain and difficulty and challenges. God, even as that song tells us, we're reminded that you are in the highlands and you're in the valleys. God, would you speak that over us? Would you remind us that you are close and that you are near? Whatever we are going through, God, you see us, you love us, and you have more for us. If there are specific areas that you are challenging in each of our hearts where we are recognizing that we're settling for something less, where we're believing lies, or where we're, we're paying we're not paying the long-term, or we're paying the long-term pain because we're avoiding the short-term pain, God, expose that in us. Help us to have the courage to even just let someone into what we're going through. God, God, help us. We need you. We love you. We trust you. God, have your way. Amen.
If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.